Welcome to Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation in life of on life and faith over a pint or other beverage. Brought to you by, well, we're still looking for some sponsors, so we'll leave that uh, as it is for now. And tonight we are discussing the evolution of God and whether you can see such development in the Bible. In light other to- words, light topics. Yeah, light <laughs> topics. Topics. Uh, the evolution of God, and then we're going to ask the question, why didn't Jesus write anything down? Why did he leave it to others to write uh, later on? And then we're going to ask whether the Bible can be wrong. Talk a little bit about uh, class conflict, a little rich versus poor, and we'll talk about favorite foods. And in true pub theology fashion, I'm sure some other things will come up along the way. Like why Tina wasn't rocking out to the theme song, when we get started, like I'm, I'm bopping the head. Brian's bopping the head, and Tina is just sitting stoically. Do you not like the theme music? What's going on here? Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I voted for another song. <laughs> uh, that's why you don't want to participate. Yeah, I love that in the beginning. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's fine, Ogan. I'm good. Jack. All right. And how can you join the conversation? You can join us on Twitter. Follow at Pub Theology, and use hashtag PT Live. And you can comment on Facebook at facebook.com backslash pubtheology. You can watch live uh, Tuesdays at 9 p.m., which you may be doing now. Thank you for doing so if you are. Or you can tune in later at pubtheology.com slash ptlive or soundcloud.com slash pubtheologylive. So welcome all. Yep, welcome, welcome. Who do we got with us? And what are you drinking? Um... This is me, Ogan. I'm back. Woohoo! Welcome back. Yay. <laughs> uh, recovering from a week at Disney World, the happiest place on earth. People are happy to get there and they're happy to leave. Um, fun stuff. And I am drinking. I dug in the back of the fridge and found me uh, Lionel Kugel's Oktoberfest. Lion Kugel. Like, what did I say? Lion. Lion. <laughs> you just stumbled through it. I could never say that word does not awesome. roll off the town. Lionel Kugel. Do you ever have their summer shandy? Love this summer shandy. And you know what? On on Southwest Airlines, they serve they serve uh, cranberry ginger shandy. Ooh, yum! Yes, yeah. so have a free. I'm have to switch airlines just for that. Free throat to Southwest. Maybe they'll hear and sponsor us. Um, but that's <laughs> what I'm drinking. Oktoberfest in February. I mean January. Gonna pop that open. That's what I got going on. Pop it open. All right. I'm trying to get the sound effect that Brian. Tina, introduce yourself and tell us what you're drinking. Hey, this is Tina, um, and I have uh, <laughs> I have a terrapin. Same thing I had last week. I don't drink beer very quickly, <laughs> so. Oh my um, God. Same beer? That's not the same beer. The same bottle? It's not the same. No, bottle. no, 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 no. It's the same six pack. It's the same uh, kind. You weren't here last week. I didn't venture he, out. He said, "I quote." This is the same beer I was drinking last week. I don't drink very quickly. Oh, oh. <laughs> the same <laughs> bottle, I see. <laughs> okay, I, I get how you got that. Ogan, didn't you watch the episode from last week? I even showed the little carton. It has a turtle on it. It's so freaking cute. I, I, I listened to the podcast. I listened to the audio on SoundCloud. I did not sit down and watch. Don't roll your eyes at me. At least I listened. You know me. That's good for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, and my name is uh, Brian Burkoff, and I'm drinking a uh, Plowhorse Belgian-inspired Imperial Stout from Brewery Vivant, brewed here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. A good winter brew. Is it out of form to drink an Oktoberfest in January? Like, is that is that in bad form? We'll let it pass. Thank you. I forgot to go out and buy new stuff when I came back. It was, you know how you go on vacation and it's like you got to work that much harder before you go and that much harder when you come back to catching up with stuff. That's how it's been for me. It's Tuesday and I am still feeling like there's a gazillion things I haven't done yet. I'm sure there are things you haven't done yet. And and fun stuff happened at church while I was gone over the week that they were all just waiting for me to come back to. Um, never a dull moment in church. I'm the minister, by the way, of Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts. Check us out online, uotr.org. Watch me live on Sunday. 
Excellent. And why did you miss? Why were you gone this past Sunday? What were you doing? What was I, I was. I said it was at Disney. Disney World. That's right. Oh, that's right. Brian, are you listening to the show now? Well, I knew that. I just couldn't remember if you'd said it to our listeners. Um, no, I did. I uh, the every year our church does a a gala um, around the holiday time. Um, it's part fundraiser, part celebration that we survived another year, and. Uh, so uh, there's always an auction, and some folks, um, somebody donated a week of their timeshare at Disney uh, to be auctioned off. And my 15-year-old daughter got very, very excited and decided she wanted to go to Disney World again. Um, it shocked the daylights out of me, but um, being a good sport, being a good parent, and also supporting my my church, I, I got... I I bid, and apparently not a lot of other people were interested, so I got a week at Disney for real cheap. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. So, um, and you know, it's it's Disney World. I think um, I hit the wall. I hit I hit the wall late Thursday night going into Friday. Um, so, I'm I'm surviving. Came back came back. The I was I was so tired. My eye twitch. You know when sometimes you're so tired, your eye does that twitchy thing. Yep. It only stopped doing that this afternoon. <laughs> back since Saturday. But enough about me. Excellent. How do you uh, how do you spell line and Google? I'm trying to tweet out what we're drinking here. Um, L I no, that's wrong. L E I N E N K U G E L. All right, I had it right. Line Kugel Oktoberfest, and I got to check in on my Untapped app. Do y'all do Untapped, or is it, we covered this the first week? It's probably yeah, we talked about this. You know, I I have not done that yet, uh, but I need to. You should you should do that. Um. You guys had a good week? Anybody? Good week? Not a good week? My kids have been home um, from school for five days with snow. So. Oh, that's right. Blizzard. It, Blizzard it, Central. It was, a, it was a lot of fun at first. 17 inches is a big deal in Virginia. They have yet to plow some of the roads. Yep. Um, it, it was a ton of fun at first. My boys went out and shoveled um, a lot of people in the development, which was really cool. Um, you know, I built a snowman. The boys went sledding. And... But after five days, I'm pretty. I'm ready for them to go back to school. You've had enough winter. Uh, for now. <laughs> I hear you. Sunshine, let it melt. I'll take another storm in a week or two. <laughs> I gotta admit that um, I'm up here in the uh, Boston area, and as I was watching that blizzard blow through DC, um, you know, I lived in DC what, a year and a half ago, two years ago, um, and I know that place like totally shuts down when they get snow, two feet nonetheless. After the winter that Boston had last year, I got to tell you, I was okay that other people were suffering. <laughs> you, you put know, in your time. I, 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 put in, I put in my time. And, and I, I, I say that, and at the same time, at the same time, I'll, I'll share this. Um, and this happened to me. Um, I found out Sunday night that it, it, um, a, very good, a, a very good friend of, 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 of mine and, and Jennifer's it was at Unity of Gaithersburg. He actually he actually uh, passed away um, from the exertion of of shoveling snow, and I mm -hmm. I spent most of yesterday in tears um, because of it, and um, it was it was like one of those I mean you know it and every every new loss reminds you of your previous losses, and and for you know there, there are people listening who who weren't who wasn't who aren't aware that you know I lost my wife last year. And uh, to and and he this guy did a did a beautiful uh, musical tribute to her at her memorial service. So it just brought all of that mm -hmm. up. So right on the heels of the exhaustion of this trip, you know this this happened. So my day was just like a mess yesterday. I didn't. I had a big off work, and I'm like I'm in no shape to come in and be with people. Um, and be there for people yesterday. It was it was a bit of it was a bit of a tough day. So. So while I, I, in some tongue-in-cheek way, make fun of the winter and being glad that we were spared after last year, it um, for some it's not a laughing matter in the in the least bit, and and I got a taste yeah. of that as well. So yeah, well, mm -hmm. condolences on on your loss. Uh, that's tough to hear. Yeah, no words, no words for that. Um, how was your week? You want to give us a quick quick recap? Sure. Of yeah, I had a good week. Uh, I'm up here in uh, Michigan, just off the lake shore, in uh, 
beautiful Holland, and uh, you know we did not get hit with the same kind of snow uh, that some of you got out east, but we we've had you know quite a bit already, so we're doing okay on that end, and uh, and we had a fun uh, gathering with some friends this past weekend, uh, exploring starting a new uh, new faith community here in Holland and uh, a new UCC church, so that's kind of exciting to think awesome. about. Cool beans, cool beans. All right, so jumping. Here we are. Question number one tonight is: If you had to give up a favorite food, which would be the most difficult to give up? Oh, that's easy. Bacon. Your favorite color? <laughs> my favorite color. Bacon. It's my Facebook, my Facebook cover photo. My favorite color is bacon. I got that. I got that at a. Um, um, I went to a diner, and I forget what the name of the diner was, but I went to the diner, and um, the the little paper napkin ring thing, you know, the sometimes plays is silverware and wrapped in a paper napkin, and then there's this little wrap that keeps it all together. So the wraps, the little napkin holder things, had all these fun, quirky sayings on them, and that was one of them. It said, "My favorite color is bacon." Um, but yes, that would that would be a hard one to give up. And remember, last year was it last year when they had this this study that came out that talked about like processed meats, like bacon and stuff. They they found a fairly conclusive link to cancer and and such diseases. And you know, Time magazine had the cover of the War on Delicious or something like that. Um, so so even though that came out, I wasn't giving up bacon anytime soon. But that's uh, so that would be the hardest to give up. Yes. That would definitely... What was the question? Yeah, that was the question. <laughs> if you had to give up a favorite food, which one would be the hardest one to let go of? Yeah, bacon. Bacon. Am I not answering the question correctly? <laughs> you got it, yeah. I couldn't remember if it was your least favorite or your best favorite. Can I tell you what my, what my daughter... My daughter asked me just before the show, my 15-year-old daughter. So <laughs> yeah, what did she say? If, if you, Which one would you give up, food or sex? Um... And, and and I had to think about that, and and I basically said, you know, always, uh, I, if I I would like to say I'd give up the food or sex, but then if I give up the food, I'd die, and I'd be able to have sex. So I would obviously have to choose food. But if I could hold on, if I could somehow magically stay alive without food, I'd definitely let that go, and have the sex. The fun, the fun, the fun discussions you miss, you miss in this house. Wow! If you could find a way to stay alive, you could give up the food. Well, we really just need water. I mean, all we really need is water. We don't really necessarily need food. We can go much longer without food than we could without water. Right. No one, no one agreeing with me on this one. Well, uh, I like I like what uh, Dave says on Twitter. He says, "I'm a simple man. I cannot let go of pepperoni pizza, New York style." Ah, yes. I think uh, I think I hear that. Pizza would be a tough one to give up for me. I, I have to agree. Pizza would be really tough for me, and I don't even have it a lot. But when I want it, I want it. Um, but my big thing is chocolate, because I don't. Oh. I try to stay away from sweets, but I just have like a square of chocolate. You know, to to kill my sugar craving, and if I had to give that up, I would probably eat everything in sight. Are you are you of the dark chocolate variety? Absolutely, hundred percent. Okay. I don't like milk chocolate. It has a funny aftertaste. I prefer milk chocolate over, to, because for me the dark chocolate tends to start getting towards bitter. I like bitter. I'm a pretty bitter person, Ogan. <laughs> I like the dark chocolate too. I mean, the, yeah, the bitter is. Let the record state it. You said it. I didn't. Not going to disagree. I will. I will always agree with you. All right. Let Brian speak. So, if if you gave up bacon, does that mean like any dish that has bacon in it would have to be sans bacon? Yes, I'm assuming that's that's what that means. That any yeah. bacon related item would have to go as well. Same with pizza. Like I couldn't have uh, omelets with pizza in it or chili with pizza in it. That's a thing. And I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> it doesn't quite work, does it? No, it does not. It does not. I th I, but a close corollary, I think eggs would also be difficult to give up. Yeah, because they go in so much. But you know what, Brian? You bring up a good point. If there was one thing I had to eat for the rest of my life. It would be pizza because you could put so many different things on it. 
Ooh, that's great a point. Just one. saying. If you could only eat one favorite food for the rest of your life, yeah, pizza's a good one. I might actually go with the eggs. Because eggs, are versatile. eggs are versatile also. They're versatile. They're actually healthy. And there are so many different ways you can prepare eggs and do with eggs. So I might I might I might go with eggs. If I there had we any. go. Yeah. There you go. All right, so question two says, do you agree, and you can always bring food in later if you like, do you agree that ideas about God have been evolving ever since humanity could articulate such things? Uh, ideas about God. Oh, yes, absolutely. In other words, yeah, people have been sort of having ideas about this is what God is like, but then that's, changed over time, over culture, language, But doesn't it have to, Brian? I mean, doesn't it have to as we learn and grow ourselves? It doesn't have to. But it, if your idea of God doesn't change, then I can't imagine that humanity would change very much. Well, there are still some people who hold on to a very... Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? anthropomorphic idea of God as a man in the sky who judges us and is vengeful. I mean, there's still people who hold on to that idea and, you know... Yeah, but it's not it's not that old that... I'm not okay. saying people... I'm not saying people don't cling to their idea of God and pass it down from generation to generation, but you have... I mean, the... But that's a very old idea of God. I mean, that, that's kind it of... It is, but you don't think it's it's changed in the least bit over the years? Not if you talk to some people. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what you're saying, Tina... Kind of, oh, go ahead, Dogan. No, no, you go. Well, I was going to say, so what you're saying uh, is that you think it's inevitable that ideas about God change. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, as, as we change and evolve and our brains, our ideas change and our technology changes, I, I think it's inevitable. Um, I, um, personally, I believe that um, how, you believe, how you view God is, um, and, and I'm going to use this because I think it, it pertains to a lot of the, the um, more popular older or, or Christian religions, but um, it, how you view your father figure is kind of how you view God in my eyes. Like with a lot of people I've met, like if you believe in like a punishing God um, or, you know, like, of you know, you're, you're kind of afraid of God, you probably had that in a father figure. Or um, like if you believe in a very loving God, you either were seeking it in, in you know, a, a, an authority figure. You know what I mean? And if, if you have a lot of respect for women, maybe you call God a goddess. I, I just I think we all create God in our own image. And so God is going to evolve as humanity changes. For some of us, yes. For some of us, no. Yeah, so... Um, here's, a, I know, here's the example I was going to mention. Um, while we were in Orlando, Joy and I took some time to go visit the Holy Land Experience. Have you ever heard of the Holy Land Experience? No. I have. I can't believe you went to that. Tell us about it. <laughs> so, so the Holy Land experience is um, theme park is being really generous. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Um, it is. It is owned and created by the Trinity Broadcasting Network, um, and that's the. Uh, I mean, that's basically the uh, evangelical Christian channel. That's all we need to know, right there. Almost. No, right there. Um, so the theme park. Um, Really, kind of reflects that idea, um, and the funny the funny story of this is that on past trips to Disney World, we would drive past it, and and Joy and I would say things like, "Oh, we should go check that out," and 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 Jennifer was like, "No, we are not spending any money in that place. No way, no how." Um, so this time when we were going, um, Joy said, "Well, since she's no longer here with us, do you think we should go now?" So. We took a day out of the week and we went to the Holy Land experience. It was a that's little right in Orlando. That's in Orlando. Um, yeah, just a short 15, 20 minute drive from the world itself. Um, it, it it was it was interesting. There were the, here's the cool part. The the coolest part about this is that they've they've spent a lot of their resources to actually collect and curate some legitimate 
um, Bible artifacts, um, and and they go through this whole thing about the his uh, the history of how the Bible, you know, the publication of the Bible, and some historical figures are represented, um, you know. So so there was some cool from the if you're into the Bible and into religion, uh, the history of religion, there were some cool pieces there, but. It, there were also some scary things, and I say scary from my point of view. Um, there were a lot of weird cardboard cutouts of Jesus all over the place. Um, if you look at my Facebook page, there's some pictures of Joy uh, posing with Jesus. Um, there is um, an actual full immersion water baptism took place. There's a uh, one of the Jesus actors. Um, baptized, uh, probably she couldn't have been more than 10-year-old, a little girl while her family was there. Um, there was um, some live productions and, I mean, the whole theme was that message of, you know, the, the atonement, salvation, traditional Christian idea of Jesus as your savior um, was what the whole park was, was based around. Um, and there was a very strong message of, you know, God and um one day Jesus will return and it's about preparing ourselves for that afterlife and following the commandments so that we don't incur the wrath of God. So so the idea was still very prevalent there. Yeah, so that's interesting because it reflects uh, a certain idea of God that's been, I think, in popular evangelicalism for a while. And I would say proponents of that view would say, no, ideas about God don't evolve, or at least ours don't. Maybe we just get a clearer understanding of God via revelation. Um, but the irony is that, that the views they hold are, of course, a product of change and evolution and different ways of reading the Bible over time that are particular to, uh, I think, American evangelical Christianity. And the great follow-up question is, you know, yeah, our thoughts and ideas about God evolve. Does God evolve? And ah, yes. Then we get into the whole process theolo process theology idea of maybe as we are evolving, since we are the outpicturing and expression of the divine, maybe so is God as well. And that's all other discussion. Um, I I have a question for you guys because um, we talk in concept a lot here. Um. What do you two personally believe God is? Whoa. Oh. She had to go there. <laughs> I went there. <laughs> I don't know if I've had enough beer to answer that. <laughs> you save it for the end, Brian? In, in vino veritas. Yeah, come back to me. Think of it. Think of it. Can an, Answer as if you were tweeting 140 characters. Oh, man. <laughs> what is going wow. on? Well, I mean, so I, I mean, I definitely think that I agree with you uh, both that ideas about God have been under change and um, been evolving uh, as humanity has grown and learned and developed. And, and I think part of that is a, a, a tuning into uh, what God is at a little better level um, and, uh, yeah, hearing a little bit more clearer, perhaps, you might say, uh, the Spirit... Uh, what the Spirit is saying, um, and you know, it's not that we've arrived at some you know perfect view of God today. I don't think that by any means, but I, I think uh, you know we've certainly made some headway. Um, now, the question of does God change or evolve is a tougher one, um, but it's I mean it's hard for me to say definitively no. I'm certainly open to that. Uh, but it's harder for me to know what that looks like. Uh, I I I I I would go with the idea that um, there that God does not evolve because God is all there is. I really gravitate to the idea of um, because evolving implies passage of time. And it involves time is time is inherently hinted at in that idea of evolving, and my my concept of God transcends time and space and everything. God is all there is, all there was, all there is, all there is to be. It's 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 all. So if God is all, how can all evolve, if you will? So our our um, 
to go back to the word revelation or even understanding or the glimpse of all that is, I think, within us comes out over time. We might have a deeper understanding relationship of how we are in that and how that is uh, in us. But, you know, like Lao Tzu uh, said, those who speak of the Tao don't know and those who know of the Tao don't speak of it, can't speak of it. Yeah, well, that was articulate, uh, Ogan, and I think I probably hadn't. I spoke before having enough beer to be coherent, <laughs> perhaps. And it was more uh, than 140 characters. I apologize. It was more than a, it was more than a tweet, but I I like that idea of thinking about God as being all that there is, or God being this this essence that is simply is, and so there's not you know, and I and so I think back to what I had started to say that we tap into that at different times and places in our lives and in our human development. And at times, I think we tap in a little deeper and a little clearer Absolutely. than at other times. Absolutely. I wasn't tapping in very deep about Thursday at Disney World when I was just ready to... Yeah. I can't believe all that wisdom. I think all that wisdom owes itself to your Holy Land experience visit. Oh, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> it did. I got to tell you, though, it did trigger some of my... Some of my like embedded stuff that that I had that I think I would say now that I'm in unity I had I had worked with to uh, maybe heal make peace peace with release um, and and there were a few moments it almost um, turned into uh, anger. You felt like running like hell. No, I I, I felt like getting angry like oh. um, you know um, because because. You know, we 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 talk about sometimes um, um, religious re- religious um, pain that's inflicted on on people, um, and and I would I would say that was in some ways I think a little bit of my experience. So it was kind of even though I'd done a lot of healing around it, it was still kind of triggering um, some of those things. So yeah, there's that. A follow-up question is, does the Bible support the notion that ideas of God have evolved, or does the Bible show a consistent portrayal of God? Hmm. I would say say it does not show a consistent. I would 100% agree with that. Um. I think what it I think what it shows is that we evolve because I mean when you look at at the writings of Jesus and Paul it was it was a lot less you know war and conquer and and the Lord will deliver the enemies into your hand and you know go go basically commit genocide in my name and God wasn't striking down people for doing things on the spot um, God wasn't demanding the sacrifices. It, it was, uh, you know, it's a lot, lot less blood. A lot less blood. The New Testament, the New Testament. God is as as portrayed through the writers of 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 Jesus's lifetime and and Paul's epistles were, you know, little, I would say a little smoother around the edges, a little gentler. <laughs> more peace, more understanding, more love thy neighbor. Um, yeah, more 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 about more about that. So I don't know if God evolved as. Opposed to people were, you know, realizing they didn't need to kill us freely. So if 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 a a newer testament was written today, what would that look like? Um, I would say many newer testaments have been written. Oh. Um, okay. Do, do we, Point taken. we acknowledge that they are anywhere from conversations with God to, uh, you know, Course in Miracles, some of my favorite novelization of Jesus' life, Lamb. I mean, there are many there are many write-ins. Um, that that anything you know the founders of Unity Charles and Myrtle Fillmore have written there are many many volumes that s- speak of a different idea of God that have updated that story. Uh, even yeah, Asian pop theology would that count? Sure, I mean I I think we are we've had this notion in much of Christianity that God is not speaking anymore, and that sort of the once the Bible was finished being written, the canon was closed, and God. Was silent, and uh, I think it's more uh, provocating and more engaging to my own spiritual life to imagine that God is still speaking. And I think I've experienced that uh, having conversations like this, reading inspired writings such as Ogan um, noted. And so I think uh, I want to be open to God still speaking even now. Cool beans. What do you think, Tina? <laughs> <laughs> 
There was a new about test. what? About your own question. Answer your own question. It was my question. I wasn't uh, going to answer it. Um, no, I, I totally agree with both of you. I, I, I don't think God ever stops speaking to us. Um, however, that being said, I think it um, any anything that is written down is is um, and I know a lot of people would disagree with me about this is through um, the human filter. So it's going to be through the human filter of that time. It's going to be the human filter of that person's beliefs. Like there's, you know, God, God, there's God, and then there's our understanding um, and the rules that we've set, and anything God gives us has to make it through there, so it comes out completely different or um, filtered, like I said. So, yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's certainly a precedent for God speaking through his people uh, all over Scripture. You know, Paul writes... That you are the body of Christ, and you're His hands, you're His feet, uh, you're His mouth, um, and when you hear that kind of language, the idea is that God is acting and speaking in the world through us. And so yeah. it's, a, it's a very scriptural notion. Well, and, and like you just said, um, God is speaking through His people. We're all His people. I, I think He speaks through all of us, just in different ways. You just have to be open to the message. I think there's. Every every human being on this earth has a little bit of wisdom they can impart on you if if you know they're open to sharing it. Absolutely, absolutely. His or her people to be uh, inclusive. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and those who wouldn't uh, those who wouldn't uh, claim to be. Yeah. Oh wow! Twitter is blowing up here. So let's see what's happening. I should look at. I should follow while we're talking. Heidi Eichstadt says, as we learn more about our world, ourselves, and our reality, we learn more about the God who's formed all of it. And so the idea is that ideas about God has, have evolved as we've learned more. And then she says, to follow up from that, if God desires to be in relationship with us, how wouldn't God be open to the change that inevitably occurs in relationship? And so she would say God can change and, in fact, invites change by inviting us into relationship. And that, that, there's something to that. Huh. And then uh, a follow-up from that is a tweet from uh, someone called Common Sense <laughs> who, quotes, who quotes the Bible, which is always helpful, uh, James 1.17, which says, uh, speaks of the Father of lights with whom... There can be no variation, neither shadow that is cast uh, by turning. And so he would say God doesn't change. Or she, he or she would say that. Okay, so God doesn't change, but our view of God still does. I would, I would say so, yeah. Or, or, or understanding, comprehension of. Yes. That, that, that change. I think I think that tweeter didn't quite catch the idea that it's the ideas that we're talking about evolving there and not um, God Himself evolving. Or maybe it was in reference to what I said about a, uh, you know, the, the process theology. Yeah. Right. Well, exactly. Yes. So, and the other person mentioned that as well, so it's exactly right. And then Josh tweets and says, "Of course, it's necessary and inevitable that ideas about God evolve," and so he agrees a hundred percent with Tina. Woohoo, Josh! <laughs> Lord. What? I heard that, Ogan. <laughs> Josh is he's so excited people are agreeing with you. <laughs> he's tuning in. Yeah, he's he's voting for best of show to Tina, I think. He's not even listening. He's muting when Ogan and I are speaking. Apparently. That's all right. All right, all right. Follow-up question. St. Augustine, and this is related, St. Augustine said, if you understood him, it would not be God. If you understood him, it would not be God. So the question then is, well, what can we know about God and what sources or experiences inform your understanding of God? Hmm. I think that question has stumped the panel. That's a tough one, you know, because he's, he's, he's... I mean, he obviously says a whole lot more, but at this point in his writing or sure. spiritual life, he says, if you understood it, 
it wouldn't be God. And I think maybe the idea is not that you can't understand anything, right? But that if you if you think you have God all figured out, then you don't keep thinking. Exactly. Back to that Laozi reference I made from the Tao Te Ching. Those who speak of the Tao don't know it, and vice and, and vice versa. Um, the if, if, if this notion God as all there is, then I don't think our limited human intellect, consciousness, whatever, you know, the potential for all there is might be might be within us, but I don't think we are ever gonna grasp it in a lifetime. Um, with this, with this limited gray matter behind the between our ears, I don't think that's oh. possible. Okay, so so maybe that that's the whole thing. Like, if we had the capacity to understand God, wouldn't that kind of put us on God's level and make us gods as well? Well, Jesus did say, "Are ye not gods?" And greater things shall you do than these. Uh, so yeah, so I be, I believe, and and this is the foundation of 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 unity theology of which I'm a minister is is that 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 you know that that spark of divine which uh, uh who who I forgot who wrote it it wasn't it wasn't my stagger maybe it was but that uh, that that spark of divinity that that essence of what the divine is is the core of who we are in potential um, and and the the or if there's a why we're here it's to it's to actuate that potential in in the human form, and as we walk as we walk this planet. Um, so I believe the p- potential is there, but I don't I don't I don't think on the human level, on the on the human level, messing with our intellect and 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 our fears and our and our you know uh, you know guilt and shame and all that kind of stuff. When we get in that place. Um, I, you know, I think Brian alluded to earlier. We're not, we're not, we're not living as the hands and feet, voice and face mm. of God. Um, we, we do that when we truly just totally live from love and I think compassion and um, all those more, dare say, noble qualities. And I really like that idea of the spark of the divine within us. And I think that's a very ancient notion. I think it's got roots in uh, Judaism and mm-hmm. um, Genesis one uh, to be created in the image of God. It hints yeah. at this embeddedness of the divine within, and uh, I think that's a powerful thing. And and I think, you know, often we want to look out there for God, but I think many of us have the deepest experience of God when we are still. Yeah. And and and, it's, it's and listen to what's happening within. It's also in uh, that also comes up in the Hindu in the Hindu tradition. You know, there's that Hindu tale where the where where the gods where man had abused his divinity, and the god said, you know, we have to hide man's divinity from him, otherwise, you know, he will destroy us all. And they were like, where where can we hide it? And they were like, well, we hide it on the highest mountain. And Brahman, chief god, said, you know, we hide it up there. Man will find a way because he's smart and intelligent. And the deepest ocean won't work either. We will hide it within himself because he'll never think to look there. I love that. And and so that's a that comes out of the Hindu tradition. So I think that's a common theme in 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 many beliefs and many faiths. That idea of, you know, within. Um, but you know, one also makes the argument, God both immanent and transcendent. Yes, yes, divine spark within, but but the fullness of all there is is also God. You know, my sister likes to say, and I, I absolutely I think it's a beautiful concept. Um, and I don't think too hard about it, but. Um, my sister likes to say that God is a womb. God is a womb. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I kind of like that idea, except then I remember that I was there when my daughter was born. <laughs> and, and when that womb came out a few minutes after her, yeah. That, that, Honey, that was the placenta. That placenta, actually. <laughs> I think, that I think the, the womb, womb was still there. But. That is the womb. That, so that imagery is now working for me, bless her. All right, moving on. No. It was beautiful until you did that. Thank you. The mother, she just recently had another baby, if we're talking about the same sister. So for her, that's a whole magical, mystical experience. <laughs> um, but for me, it was downright scary. Yes. Okay. Sorry, didn't mean to ruin it. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, follow up on Twitter is if you think you completely, if you think you can completely and comprehend and know God, then you're worshiping your idea of God and not God. So oh. 
Well, sort of echo- yeah, well put, echoing um, echoing Augustine there, that if you think you have God all figured out, then it's probably uh, your idea of God rather than God himself. Mm-hmm. All right, let's keep moving on here. Um, assuming Jesus was literate, why did he not write anything down for us? In almost all other religions, the main leader or prophet wrote down uh, his or her own stuff. I got this one. Can I say it? Go um, for it. Because Jesus wasn't trying to create a religion. I think he was just living life authentically and being who he was. I don't think he was intending to create a new religion. Just my take. <laughs> Go nuts. <laughs> No, you're you're right. He was he was he was there not to abolish the law, but to what, what's that quote, Brian? Help me out. I come not to abolish the law, but but to fulfill it. Fulfill it. There you go. Um, wh- why do we assume that he could? He was literate and could write. Why do we assume he was literate? Well, um, we know that uh, in Luke four that he, uh, in the synagogue service, uh, took up the scroll and read. So we know he could at least read. We assume well, he, he could also read. Right, um, and then he wrote in the sand, and I think John eight. So th- I think he was just doodling to kill some time. <laughs> <laughs> he was killing. He was killing time was, to make sure someone else wasn't killed. Right, ex- exactly. And who's to say that they didn't put that verse in there? And I'm going to get lashed back for this. They didn't just put that verse in there because people weren't willing to follow somebody who was illiterate. So by saying he picked up the scroll and read. It put him in a different um, position for for people to look, you know, to the way they viewed him. Well, I don't, I don't think they would have been unwilling to follow someone who was illiterate. I mean, it was it was common at that time for people, for anybody to, you know, to to form a re, uh, a group of rebellion or you know, for someone a rebellion, to... but not a full religion, Ogan. But but that's my point. But my point is, they would follow anybody. Whether they were literate or illiterate, I don't. I don't think that was necessarily. I'm not talking about the people that followed him. I'm talking about the people reading the scripts later on that oh, they were okay. trying to get to follow. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? I'm, I misunderstood where you were going with that. Um, I don't. I don't know. Um, but I, I think I agree with Tina in in the respects of um, he wasn't he wasn't necessarily trying to create a new movement as opposed to you know bring attention to the fact that people were uh, too caught up in the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Um, and if you're really trying to bring attention to the spirit of the law, you don't need to rewrite anything. You're just saying, you know, what we have is already good. We're just we kind of like maybe strayed from the original intention. Um, yeah, and he often would say, you've heard it said, but I say to you... Uh, and he would give a clarification or a, a reinterpretation of the texts they already had. Um, and we can also make the argument that, you know, if, um, as popular, I think, theory supports or proposes, that um, it was Aramaic that he was speaking, and Aramaic not so much a written language as it is a verbal tradition. So, you know. Yeah, it was a very oral culture. So exactly. I think it was it was very normal to tell stories and assume they would be remembered and passed on much as they were told originally. Yeah. Um and then there's the you know, then there's the other idea that um they believed that he would be coming back within their lifetime after the resurrection, if you believe that happened, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, that he would be coming back within their lifetime. So after they realized that maybe, yeah, some of us are dying and he ain't showed up yet, maybe we should write this stuff down be- before we forget it all. Um, but I mean, what I mean, as far as we know, what the earliest gospel is dated like maybe like fifty to seventy years after the fact. Um, well, uh, was written. 40 to 50 years after the fact. I think okay. most believe the earliest Gospels we have are right around the destruction of the Temple in 70, uh, and we assume Jesus died in the early 30s. So it, it was at least a generation later. At least one generation. So I think yep. I think that's what maybe prompted the write-in, that, you know, it was uh, maybe the older the folks who were 
um, in in the audience when he was doing his thing and were beginning to die off and 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 stuff was you know people were beginning to as he commissioned them to spread the gospel and you know if you ever played the game telephone I think it was like the message was beginning to get corrupted um, and I mean corrupted in a bad way just you know it changed. It, it, yeah, changed a little bit as we went on. So someone, so I guess at some point they were like, you know, maybe we should write this down as best as we can remember it. And so we have something to go on. Yeah, what do you think would have happened if, if we had direct writings from Jesus? Would those be treated differently than some of the other uh, scripture texts we have? No, because it, then it would it would still be a whole, you know, what did Jesus mean when he wrote that? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> the whole mystery of interpretation. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we couldn't get away from that. It, it, no, we, 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 we couldn't. But I do wonder if we'd have like a, a, a priority within the canon of, well, you know, what Mark wrote or John wrote is nice, but, but remember what Jesus wrote and, you know. Um, so it's interesting you mentioned that I was listening to um, On Being. Anyone listens to the On Being podcast? Absolutely. Yeah, so I was listening to one recently. She was interviewing. I'm trying to pull it up on my phone here so I can get the guy's name. But um, he was a Buddhist, a Buddhist author and scholar. Um, his name was uh, Stephen Batchelor. I think that's the guy's name. Yeah, Stephen Batchelor. Um, his books include uh, Buddhism Without Beliefs, Confession of a Buddhist Atheist, uh, and The Faith to Doubt. And um, his newest book, After Buddhism, Rethinking the Dharma for a Secular Age. So one of the things he's doing is doing his best to try and go back and find some of uh, Buddha's write-ins and, and realize that even in Buddhism, there was a whole lot of, as time went on, taking the Buddha's write-ins and sayings and you know, creating different interpretations and you know, and we got all these different strains of Buddhism, um, maybe as a result of that, and it's happening there too. So he's trying to go back to the, but even as he's finding some of these original, you know, going all the way back and doing his deep research again, that question, okay, well, when Buddha said this, in the context that Buddha was saying it, what might he have meant? What was the intention behind what he was saying? And I don't think there's a way we can ultimately know because we weren't there, and I think context context is everything. Context is everything. And we well, but that, that takes us back to the whole um, God evolving thing. So Buddhism is has evolved as well. So even if he goes back and finds these original manuscripts and says, this, this is what came from the Buddha, don't you think because of where people are now, they would kind of discount it on some level or change it or do the same thing, you know, it, because we're in a different place. I mean... Absolutely. I, I absolutely, we will. And I'm I mean, not saying his, his efforts are futile. I'm just saying that he may not get the reception he's expecting. Sure. With finding it. I mean, I mean who knows? Who knows? We, we, I mean, there are, different, there are different standards of living and livelihood accepted in our culture now that was accepted back then. I mean, if, if Jesus were to write about marriage... You know, in his time, it was quite acceptable for a 13-year-old, 14-year-old girl, young woman to be married off and, and start a family. No one's really thinking that we will do that now. And, uh, and for men to have many wives. Don't forget that. Many wives. Uh, uh, slavery was still, you know, a common practice of the time. Um, I don't think at any point in time Jesus said we shouldn't have slaves. You know, but we've recognized that that's a, you know, at the very... To, to say the least, a dehumanizing dehumanization of a person of a personhood. So, you know, we we got to take that into account. And when we read, you know, at Paul when he says, uh, you know, tells slaves to honor their masters, like, you know, no one's gonna use that now as an advocation for us returning to slavery. So um, we we have a, a Twitter message here that I absolutely love. It says, perhaps Jesus didn't write it down so that we wouldn't worship scripture instead of God and think that we had all the answers. Ooh. So are we saying that the Bible isn't the inerrant word of God? Whoa, I think you're trying to segue right into number <laughs> next, right into our next question. 
Well, I mean, when we when we when we say it's the inerrant word of God, that's kind of what we're doing. We're worshiping the scripture. Yes. It's very true. Go ahead, yeah. Brian. Go into well, the next question. I love this. Yeah, one. so it it is a segue into our next uh, topic, and I and I think that uh, tweet is onto something that maybe Jesus Jesus didn't write it down so that we wouldn't uh, create this idol out of uh, you know out of a text, and there's a precedent for that in the scripture when Moses came down from the mountain, right? He had these tablets and... Uh... Oh, wait, but they were worshipping the calf, not the tablets. Okay, I confused that one. <laughs> Cut them all! Edit, just edit this out. Edit that part out. All right. No, 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 no. This is the fun part. <laughs> but no, right, so... you weren't far off. They did put the tablets in the ark and... You but know... they put, yeah, there you go. They put the tablets in the ark and, and then they put that in the Holy of Holies and that became like the center of worship, and it's hard not to imagine that that became idolized at some level. Yeah, yeah. and if you believe Mel Brooks, there were 15 commandments, not 10. <laughs> exactly. And so Ogan asks, well, can Scripture ever be wrong or have errors? And there's a new ad campaign by the United Church of Christ that says the Bible is like GPS, a brilliant guide, but occasionally wrong. I'd say more and, than what do you think about that? Um, I think, again, going back to context, context is everything. When the Bible was written, um, I think it was it was right for the time and the context in which it was written. There are those things that, as we as human beings have, you know, learned how to evolve and honor the personhood of every human being, that there are some things that don't apply anymore. You know, slavery, um, the homosexuality issue, the you know, like tons of things. Women having to cover their heads and not having a voice in church. I mean, you know, but there's some there's some denominations that still honor that. So do you think it? It, I think I hear you saying maybe it was appropriate when it was written, but today we would think differently. Oh yes, we do. Not that it was appropriate then. It was. Contextually, it was. Let me be careful what I say. Contextually, it made sense for when it was certainly written. that. Certainly that. But would you say it was wrong then? Would you go that far? Um, if I if I if I was thinking now, if I was living back then and thinking now, yes, I would say it was wrong. Um, but if I was living in that time, no, it would it wouldn't be wrong because that would be that. You would, wouldn't know any different. I wouldn't know any different. Yeah. That's the key. I wouldn't know any different. But as time went on, there were people who said, wait a minute, you know, why, why is this person in chains any different than, than me who's not in chains? Um, you know, we gotta, that's a human being too. Um, and I think we began to, to, to see some shades of that in Paul's writing when he, when he said, you know, free or slave, man or woman, we're all, we're all equal under Christ. There, there, were, there were some beginnings of, of, of leveling the playing field in, in that writing. Um. So this this kind of reminds um, Will and I were talking today, and we were talking. He was saying how he's an engineer, and he was saying how like each year in school you study science, and the next year you study science, it disproves what you learned the previous year, and then you move on to a higher level of science, and it disproves what you learned before, and so that just teaches us that the next level of science is going to disprove what we know now, which I think is very humbling, and I think we can apply that to theology too. You know, like, we only know what we know, you just said it. We only know what we know at this time with what we have. So, you know, a hundred years from now, they may be looking back at us, being scratching our heads going, how could they have possibly believed that? You know, so we kind of have to be humble with whatever we believe, because I'm sure the people... 2,000 years ago were so steadfast in what they believed. And 2,000 years before that, they were steadfast in what they believed. So, you know, it's, it is. It, and to go back to your original question, um, as, you know, the Bible is a guide, it, it, it's a GPS, it can be wrong, um, just like a GPS. <laughs> it can be wrong, but it also matters, like, where you're going with it. You know, it's how you use it. Did that make any sense? Because you're both looking at me funny. No, no, perfect. It makes it makes we we just that's, we just look at you weird like that all the time. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, it makes it makes perfect sense for what 
what you what you just said in, in terms of that. Um, I think I think interpretation is a, is another piece of it. Like you know, if we if we believe the Bible as inerrant word of God, then yeah, it's never wrong. If we believe it contextually for its time, then sometimes things in it make sense, and sometimes things we can let go of. If we look at it, for example, um, back to the way unity interprets the Bible metaphysically, um, it's never looking at the Bible literally. It's, you know, every person, place, event is uh, representative of our own personal spiritual journey. In that respect, then, there is no right or wrong. It's just a reflection of who we are um, and where we are in our journey. So we could take any Bible story and say, you know, that represents part of who we are, you know. Um, yeah. So I think I think I think the right or wrong question of the Bible is kind of a little bit too simplistic because you got to factor in how are we choosing to see the Bible and interpret the Bible. Yeah, I, there's something I really like about that, Ogan, being open to um, what any scripture is saying to a person in a given time and place and context and being open to it saying different things to different people um, at different moments of their lives. I think that's very powerful. Um, and yet that said, I do think there are things that we can... I don't think it's as vast as, well, it says whatever it says to you um, without any qualifier. I mean, I think, you know, we can do some work in terms of um, original languages, uh, culture, um, religious ideas at the time to say, well, I haven't, we have an idea that when Jesus was saying this, he meant something within this range of meanings and not this other thing that doesn't even make sense, uh, if that makes sense. So that we can we can begin to have an idea of what the original intent was behind something, but that doesn't mean that it can't speak new things all the time to us today. Agreed. I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. Sensibly said. Excellent. Um, any any last thoughts on this? I think we're going to table our last question just because we're kind of moving up toward the end of the hour. Yeah. And that moves well, us in a totally it moves us in a totally different direction. Brian, can you at least like say what it was? So maybe I'll read it as maybe a teaser for next week if we yeah. still want to bring it back. And that is that uh, there was an international study that showed that the United States was a leader in class conflict uh, with the largest gap uh, between the rich and poor for support of social spending of any nation. And so, in other words, um, the rich felt like, well, we shouldn't support social spending, whereas the poor held it as a high value. And in other nations, even the wealthy felt that caring for everyone was a responsible and civilized thing to do that was good for everyone. That's why we got to feel the burn, baby. Feel the burn. <laughs> oh, wow. Can we get, are we allowed to get political here? Any, any particular candidate. I'm not, this is not an endorsement. Brian, oh, I think well at some point we should get political. <laughs> Just saying. Anyhow. All right, who's bringing us out here, Ogan? You or me? Um, I, I, I'll let you do it because I gotta go find the music. <laughs> awesome. Um, so well, thank you all uh, for listening to us. Those who tuned in live and those who tuned in later, we appreciate you so much. Thanks for the great comments on Twitter. You guys lit up Twitter tonight. Thanks. Uh, to all who jumped in uh, there, uh, Heidi, Mark, uh, Dave, Ryan, uh, and others, Joshua. Ryan, we didn't get to your question, but it's a good one. Maybe we'll bring that bring that back next time. Um, you can always follow us on Twitter at Pub Theology. Help us spread the word. Facebook, find us at facebook.com backslash pubtheology. You can watch Tuesdays live at 9 p.m. Eastern time at pubtheology.com slash ptlive. And you can listen anytime at soundcloud.com slash pubtheologylive. If you'd like to find a pub theology group near you, go to pubtheology.com slash directory and find a listing of pub theology across the nation. So thanks for joining us, friends. Have a good night, everybody. Happy Ogan. Get your groove on, girl. Get your groove on.
Thank you. 